Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. What is it for you to have all this success, all this fame, all these things that we chase after being human beings, chasing after success and not have those that we love the most to celebrate it with? Yeah. And that just poured deep into my spirit at the time. And I just continued to, to ask God, what was he trying to tell me? And what came to my heart was the fact that we are all in pursuit of success. And then when we get it, we have no idea what to do. <laughs> Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome to another episode. Uh, This is part one of my great conversation with Super Bowl champion author, Mr. Chris Hope. We jumped right into his truth, uh, which was people often want success, but once they get it, they don't know how to handle it. And he teaches how we can be successful And at the same time, set boundaries so that our loved ones can also go along for the ride, but in a healthy way. And one quick uh, disclaimer I wanted to make that although Chris is a Christian and references the Bible during my interview, his message is universal, right? No matter what your faith is, you can extract and get some juice from from this interview. So, So please enjoy part one. Close your eyes and open your ears and let's do it. Good people, welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I am your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, mindset coach, life strategist. And today I am super excited to talk to Mr. Chris Hope. Chris, what's up? Not much, man. I'm so excited about being a part of the show. I know we've uh, missed each other a few times, but <laughs> I know you're good people, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, when things are supposed to happen, they happen. And, you know, that's when we do it. Just to tell you a little bit about Chris, Chris is a, he's, he hails from Rock Hill, South Carolina. He's a Southern boy, national collegiate football champ at Florida State, Super Bowl champ with the Steelers in 2006. The reason I came to know about him is because of this book. This book is called Pros. Pros stands for parents relying on their seeds. And I like the book because one of the things that I teach to clients is this whole idea of creating boundaries and the importance of creating boundaries, even as an adult. And you didn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think you'd have to Chris, but you actually have to probably do it more as an adult. And then further, when you're someone of, of note or someone who has some, you know, some notoriety, because one of the other things I teach is this idea of assumption versus agreement, right? Just because you have become famous or you've gotten a certain amount of money or notoriety, people assume without actually talking to you, that you owe them something. Right. <laughs> when in fact, you really don't owe them anything. 
So we're going to get into it. But I really wanted, before we started and jumped into the truth prescription, just to really give people a clear vision of how powerful this book is. People may see it as a cross on the front, and, and, and anybody who knows Chris knows he's a Christian brother. This book is not for, for, for a Christian. This book is for any man or woman that wants to understand what leadership is. This is what this book is for. And so I pulled out some quotes that I just, they just spoke to me. And I just want to kind of go through some of them. Stay ready. One is stay ready so you don't have to get ready. <laughs> right? One is maintenance is a whole lot cheaper than repairs. Sir. Right? Self-explanatory. This one I like. Don't make permanent decisions to a temporary situation. And I've been so guilty of this in my life. Oh, my God. You know, just trying to solve problems. As men, I think a lot of times we try to solve problems. That's our thing, solving problems. And we jump out there and try to solve something when it really doesn't need to be solved. It just needs some vitamin T, some time. <laughs> vitamin T, I like that. Yeah, it just needs some time. And the last one is actually from, from your guy, John Mason, which I also love that I learned by just getting knocked upside the head and falling in relationships. Fight the issue, not the person. So Absolutely. critical, particularly in marriage. You know, you and I are both married. But even if you're not in a marriage, if you're just in a, um, if you're in a committed relationship or any relationship, don't fight with the person, fight with the issue. So Chris, I, you know, I really appreciate you putting this book out. There's a ton of gems in there and we'll get more into it. But let's jump into the truth prescription. For my uh, listeners that have listened to the show before, you know that my show is essentially about truth. I feel it's the prescription, right? When we ignore truth, we get stuck. When we accept truth, we get free. And so... <laughs> What I'd like Chris to talk about is a story in his life where maybe there was a truth that he wasn't aware of. Maybe there was a truth he frankly was just ignoring that once he accepted it, big breakthroughs happened for him and he was really able to harness the power that God gave him. Well, what comes to mind just sitting here thinking about this is a whole story behind how the book evolved. Okay. I had no intentions of writing a book mm. about my secrets or things that most people don't like to discuss and talk about. And that's family. I talk about in my book that no one is perfect, but we all walk around as if we have it all together. I met this guy who was a friend of my mentors and I met him for the first time. And within the first two or three minutes, he asked me a few questions that kind of just tore my world up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a guy that loves to talk and I'm always, uh, I always have something to say back. I'm never lost for words, but for the questions that he asked me, it just blew me away. Wow. And the first one was, what problem do I know of in today, in today's world? What problem do I know of and what am I doing to try to solve it? Right. And right. I said, wow. Yeah. This you is know, John, this oh, is John Mason. No, this is not John Mason. Oh. This is uh, my, my good friends. Lewis Upkins. Lewis Upkins. He's okay. He's my he's my mentor. He introduced me to a guy that he that's his mentor, and he told me within that two minutes he didn't he didn't tell me his name and tell me anything. He just looked at me <laughs> and said, <laughs> "What problem do you know of, and what are you doing to try to solve it?" And that floored me. And one issue that came up to me that I continued to struggle with, and I ignored it for my entire life, was the fact that. The Bible talks about what is it for you to gain the world and lose your soul? What is it for you to have all this success, all this fame, all these things that we chase after, 
being human beings, chasing after success and not have those that we love the most to celebrate it with. Yeah. And that just poured deep into my spirit at the time. And I just continued to, to ask God, what was he trying to tell me? And what came to my heart was the fact that we are all in pursuit of success. And then when we get it, we have no idea what to do. <laughs> and the people that motivated us to get to that level of success, they're nowhere around when you turn around. So I said, well, why is that? Why do so many of us chase after something that we don't know could potentially kill us or could potentially destroy every relationship that means the world to us? And I said, well, what's the answer to that? And that's how my book evolved because I wanted to create those healthy boundaries on the beginning, going to the relationship, knowing what are we looking for? Most people get in relationships now, they get in relationships with what they have in common, right? Mm. We, we like the same things. We, we watch the same movies. We like to go to the same places. She likes this food. I like this food. Mm. But what we what destroys relationships are those things that we don't have in common. Correct. And we all talk about those things. <laughs> I didn't want to be someone that achieved all these great goals, had all this success, had all this support and love from all these people, but not have those healthy relationships with those that I love the most, starting with my parents and my siblings and, and people that I want to think the most about me. So that's where my book came into play of creating healthy boundaries, creating spaces to where not only can you be successful, but you can have peace and joy in the end. Wow. And so many successful people don't have that. Wow. So that's the truth that I ignored. That's the truth that I thought money could fix. That's the mm. truth that I thought success could hide. But at the end of the day, I was still going home like so many other successful people, empty, uh, resentful, broken, and truly not living your best self. That was one of my biggest resentments. You know, feeling that the weight of trying to create all these provisions for those that I love while I watch them live their best life, while I'm busting my behind and, and saving and, and thinking about them before I spend two dollars and mm. thinking about them before I go on a trip, you know, thinking about how that would make them feel if I went out and just said, I'm gonna live my best life and, and not think about the people that, that mean the most to me. That made me very resentful. So I had to address that issue because, again, I thought money could change it. I thought time would change it. But I never got over that feeling until I started addressing those issues. Wow. That's powerful, Chris. One of the things you said that, that I'm reflecting on is this idea of not being broke, but being broken. Oh, yeah. Right? That's so powerful. And I, I've seen it in myself. But I could also see how, for me, on a, on a different level, because I'm not famous, not yet, but, you know, <laughs> having all this notoriety at work, people giving me adorations. I ask somebody to do something, they do it. Yes, yes, doc, you know, that whole thing. And then you come home, to your point, and there's negative feelings, we'll just call them. <laughs> and I could see how on, on your level, when you were at the top, top of your, you know, your public life, how it could just exponentially just be tough to deal with. And the interesting thing that you that you noted was that it wasn't just that you saw this in yourself. You saw it in the other people around you, your, either your teammates or friends or, you know, other folks. So, so I appreciate that insight. What was it like when you wrote the book? What was the feedback from family? <laughs> so again, 
this was an assignment that God placed on me. There's no way that I would have been strong enough mentally and physically to expose some of the deep truths and the sorrows and the pain that I expressed. Being a black male, being an athlete, feelings are not what we deal with. No. You know, put a band-aid on it, suck it up. Football, somebody tears the Achilles, the knee, move it up five, keep the play going, keep the party going. So I was not in tune with my emotions and my feelings. It just wasn't raised that way. So when I started answering the bell of what God assigned me to, I ran from it. I, I argued with him. I was like, there's no way you're telling me to write a book about this. Like, <laughs> I came up with every excuse possible. I can't write a book. I, I, I'm, you know, everybody has a story. Like, why is this so important? And I said, well, continuously show me how this just isn't a black man's book, a poor man's book, right. uh, an athlete's book. Show me how it affects every walk of life. And I'll start to trust that this is what you want me to do. So first he said, well, son, you didn't come up with the name of the book. I gave you the name of the book. Mm. Just get to a computer and start writing. <laughs> and again, you know, you have to strengthen your faith in this area. And this was a season where I was growing in the word and, and God was stretching me on that side of it. So right. it was like a clear conversation. It was amazing. It was times where I would be asleep. I would have to get up and just get to a computer or get to my phone. Times in the shower, I would jump out the shower with water on me because I had to write it down just so I wouldn't forget it. So I know he was speaking through me. Yeah. So when I had the, the opportunity to, to not only hear his voice, but I had to bow down and just let him take the wheel. So when, when I started writing a book <laughs> and I started touching on something, he was bringing these stories back to me, showing me how relevant it was. Yeah. I mean, just in everyday life, I would go to the dentist and I would see an older person get dropped off, get walked in or ushered in by their younger son, Fill them in at the front, sit down, mom, dad, I'll be back and we park the car, I'll be right back in. I say, wow, that's parents relying on their seeds. Yeah. We all get to be 80, 90 years old. One day we're not gonna be able to drive, we're not gonna be able to move around. Somebody's gonna have to do it. Told me that. I go out to lunch that day. I see an old lady with her daughter celebrating her birthday. And the first thing she says is, man, my daughter really loves me. I hadn't been house in two days she comes and picks me up she takes me out to eat she's a lovely daughter I said wow yeah like <laughs> you hit me <laughs> with all of you know I knew how it affected my my life personally and then I said well show me how does this affect somebody who's wealthy mm. or somebody who doesn't look like me and I was sitting down with one of my older Caucasian mentors and they were talking about a business deal and he broke down and frustration and, and kind of anger towards his son because he felt as though his son had no commitment to what he wanted his son to do. Sure. He kept saying, I'm doing all this so I can leave it to my son. So on one end, he was dependent on his son to continue the legacy for him. But on the other end, he was forcing his expectation on his son. His son wanted nothing to do with it. His son just wanted the relationship. And I said, wow, what his son was really wanting was his dad's presence, not his dad's presence. Correct. And his dad 
didn't understand that until I explained it to him from that perspective. It was an aha moment to where I said, wow, this applies to all walks of life, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, no matter what side of the track you're from, this applies to us all. And I said, well, I think I have to do it because you... <laughs> then I thought about it. I said, well, God, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's part of it, son. Yeah, that's part, of, that's part of this, right? Correct. Correct and then heal. So you allowing your truth to be spoken for them to walk in your shoes. People want to see your shoes. They want to admire your shoes, but they don't want to step in them most of the time. I had an opportunity to get some things off of my heart in a very, as you read the book, in a very respectful way. Sure. But clear to where I, I was understood and I was heard. And to be honest, you know, my siblings, you know, my parents, it was tough. You know, it was tough for them to hear how at times I felt. And I had to explain that it was an assignment. There's no way I would have in my right heart and mind, offered all this information up, but I thought it, I knew the assignment was bigger than me and my family was to help those that were coming behind me, those that have came before me, and for many more that I haven't met. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Tell me, what was the feedback like from athletes and just other folks that read the book? So from athletes, it was a no-brainer. You know, coming from humble beginnings and being a Black African-American, and our pop culture, that's what it tells us. Put on for our city. Look out for the hood. Come back and take care of the, You know, that's what we're born with. Right. And even in African tribes, you know, every son, every male born, they hold him up and says, this is the Messiah. This is our Savior. This is our King. You know, so we've already had that in our DNA from day one of trying to be the Savior. Mm. You know, my, my last name is Hope. I played safety <laughs> on the last line of defense. I was called the last hope several times. That was just already built in my DNA. And so many of us have this, this great idea. It starts off great as a parent and as a child. You know, you have children. Your biggest dream, I, I, without even asking you, I already know is to create a better lifestyle for your, for your kids. Healthy, emotional, spiritually, financially, you want the best for your children. That's every parent, black, white, Asian, across the board. We all have that same mindset in the beginning. And as a child, I don't care what child you are. I don't care if your mom was there, wasn't there, your dad was there, wasn't there. We all want to make our parents proud. We all want them to, to validate us. We all want to give back to them for all the sacrifices that they gave us. Straight across the board. Two great principles, two great theories. Where does it go wrong at? <laughs> Where does it go wrong? <laughs> Assumption so, versus agreement. Exactly. That's where so, it goes wrong. For myself, you know, growing up being an athlete, I hear what every other athlete says. I hear what rap music says. I hear what new movies and our culture teaches us. Right. You know. Correct. Correct. Get to the NFL, get to the NBA, hit the lottery, buy your mom and daddy a house, a dog with a picket fence going around it. And that's what they were taught us. Then it teaches about taxes, then it teaches about people blowing money, and it teaches about people not doing what you expected them to do. Then it teaches about longevity. It taught us about the right now. So as a kid growing up, first thing that most athletes do, no matter where they get drafted, no matter if they got a big contract, a little, a little contract. contract, right? Get mama, get mama house. 
I gotta get mama hops. I'm gonna go buy mama Mercedes Benz. I'm gonna go buy my dad a Bentley. What? <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging. I'm here to to try to get you to see it a different way. Yeah. Okay. Your mom and dad. You get. I was drafted when I was 20 years old. My mom and dad were the early 40s, mid 40s, probably still healthy, still working. If I retire them at that point, now they've thrown away 20, 15 to 20 years of being in the workplace. Now they are reaching in their retirement or their tax. Uncle Sam don't know them anymore if I retire them at that age. So now they've thrown away all those years you're, of work. You're Uncle Sam. You become Uncle Sam. I, I become Uncle Sam. I become their parent. I become their parent because now they're my dependents. Now, what is a good thing might not be a God thing. That's a good thing that I retire my parents. Oh, Chris loves his folks. He's respectful. He's not, but that wasn't what God told me to do. So, so many of us make these decisions based on what we've been taught, what we've heard, do not wanting to be the guy that got the money and changed, not wanting to be the guy that forgot where he came from. All those are misbeliefs that we've been hit over the head a million times. You know, honor my mother and my father. I got to go buy this house. I can't buy them a Honda that they can afford. In upkeep, I got to buy them a, 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 a Lexus or a Mercedes. That's the only way they're going to feel like I honor them. So all these things apply to an athlete's firsthand because it's, it's what we live. You know, we go out and buy this nice house for our parents. Well, mom got a four or five bedroom house. I'm the guy. What I got to have? I got to have a four or five bedroom house. So now I have two houses, two house notes, two taxes, <laughs> two upkeeps, and I just told my mom and dad to sit down. So, yeah, and it's, a lot of, don't it's a lot of pressure. So now I have to keep up all this stuff, and who knows, I might get hurt on the first snap. I might not make it to next contract. So now what I've done, I've created all this out of my goodness, something that started all good, just like I told you, the first principle of mom and dad wants to create a better life for their children. Good premise, good principle. I want to give back to my mom and dad and my community because I feel like they supported me and loved me. Good principle, is it? but is it God? Yeah. Am I doing what God said? Because we have to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. One of the things you, you talk about that I loved in the book is, was a, a creative way in which you addressed this very thing. And this is when you went to the Super Bowl and you were getting calls from everybody, everybody, everybody about tickets and getting a lot of pressure. And I won't get into it. I'll let folks read the book. But what you decided to do, which I thought was so in, ingenious, was you put everybody in a restaurant, you paid for it, had, you know, screens, food, the whole thing. And everybody was able to enjoy it because at the end of the day, to your point, that's the outcome you wanted. You wanted family to be able to enjoy you on that day. And if that was your outcome, it didn't have to mean paying for everybody to fly in, paying for all the hotels, paying for all the tickets, right? Because I'm sure you get a certain number of tickets, but then there are all tickets you got to pay for. And these are four or five, six thousand dollar tickets per seat. Free tickets. <laughs> oh, you get you get two. That's it. Okay, so there it is, America. You heard it. You get two free tickets. The thing that I like there is that, and something I teach is focus on the outcome. Like, what is it you actually want to attain or achieve? Because there might be seven ways to do it. They may not like that, you know. It, and it sounds like they had a good time. But especially when you're trying to really take care of yourself and take care of other people, 
just really look at the outcome. Like, what what am I trying to accomplish here? And I think you you won. You accomplished what you wanted to accomplish in that in that situation. It was a challenge, though. That that day ended up being one of the best memories that I've had going out throughout my entire career. Wow. Um, having an opportunity for for both sides of my families to enjoy each other yeah. and not worry about who has the best seats, who has the most people supporting me, <laughs> who's been there the most. You know, it was an awesome experience to where my uncle recorded it all. So it, it's like the last time, you know, my grandmother was on tape. So many amazing experiences. And I remember uh, vividly my uncle going around asking people, uh, like, say something to Chris on the camera so he can remember you. And I, my grandmother's name is Christine. So they called her Grandma Chris. So she was older. She didn't really hear as well. So my uncle, her son, comes up and says, uh, Mom, you know, say something to Chris on the tape. And <laughs> she thought she was talking... <laughs> She thought he was talking about herself, so she stopped talking about herself. So <laughs> it, it was a love, night. Love old people, man. Love um, old people. Love the old people. That's hilarious. Uncles who, you know, would have probably never wanted to go to the game, but they had an opportunity to come experience that. So it was it was an amazing experience, an amazing opportunity. But like you said earlier, all things are meant for the good. You know, no matter how it start off, the good will come out of it. You said something earlier that I want to see if you can dive into a little bit. You said that because of your upbringing, and I relate to this as well, you weren't really in touch with your emotions. I was sort of, I was married before and divorced, and I was sort of forced to deal with my emotions through that very abusive relationship. And I also got sick at the same time, right when I was getting ready to get divorced, I got uh, hepatitis C. And so I was on all these heavy medications and I was sick all the time. I lost all this weight. And it was sort of through that albatross, that hell, if you will, that I really started to have to look in the mirror and deal with, you know, the decisions I've made. I had made my whole life up to that point and those demons that were deep down inside that were affecting everything I did every day. How did you sort of start to really get in tune and in touch with, hey, I'm not a machine. I'm actually a human with feelings and, you know, I want to be able to address them. So it's, it's funny you say that. I just recently, my wife and I have been married for going on 10 years this year. We've known it's her freshman year in college, my junior year in college. So that's 20 some years of knowing each other. And when I met her, I, I was zoned out from emotions because I had to separate myself. I say in my book, you know, one of the, the favorite quotes from Jay-Z of one of his songs, I love, love Jay-Z, love Biggie Smalls and those guys. And Jay-Z says, how can I help the poor if I'm one of them? I have to go get rich first and come back and now help. And that's a win-win. So when I left to go to Florida State, the whole house was in shambles. I had to block all that out. I went to school to Florida State because I love the school. I love the opportunity to play for national championships and get drafted. But I also loved how far it was. Mm. Because it gave me an opportunity to separate that because I would have been so resentful, so angry if I would have allowed what was going on back home to bring me down. Now, when you say home, you mean your, your parents' home, not your relationship with your, with your lady. Family home, right. So when I went to Florida State, it was kind of like a separation from that. And I remember when I first met my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, she, she said, why you never talk about your parents? Like, why you never talk about 
I ever hear you talking to your dad or your mom on the phone. And at that time, again, and not being in tune with my emotions, I was like, well, you know, no big deal. You know, uh, men don't talk to their moms and dads every day. That's <laughs> not what we do. You know, not really understanding that at that time I was going through a depression, didn't even know it. So football and schoolwork and staying busy and staying active was my thing. Yeah. You know, never sit down. I'm always busy, always doing something. Recently, my wife and I still go to marriage counseling just to sharpen up on our tools and to keep our communication good. Recently, I'm talking about last week where the therapist just explained to me the difference between feelings and emotions. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. I told him, I said, well, well, I always thought feelings meant that it caused me to do something in a negative way. Like, but feelings, you can't control what you feel. You feel it. You just don't address it. You don't know how to put a name to it. But the emotion comes when you hold on to that feeling and it becomes a Sustained. Yes. Or history. You know, I just recently figured out, but <laughs> you know, it's it was it was good for me at the time because my dad, my dad was a strict disciplinarian, no excuses, do what I say do, don't do what I do. <laughs> right. Straight up. Yeah, because he's not doing what you're doing. So I might not do it right, but you don't get that opportunity. So I, I appreciated that. And I needed that for the journey I went on because I felt lonely and I had to be very strong because I was independent and I was by myself in those years where I was at Florida State, eight hours away from home. Yeah. And when I went to Pittsburgh, I was by myself. That was an experience that I had to go through by myself. So that tough love and that emotionless person that I grew up to be served me well. Yep. But now that I have children, I have to find the balance between the two. Like how to be tough, but how to still express your emotions and not feel like you're less than or you're weak. That's something that I still have to, to, to concentrate and be intentional on now because there's times where I could get hit and, and, and it just didn't matter to me. Right. And it really came off when I retired from football because a long time, I didn't know what pain was. You know, mm. didn't know what it was. I could play a full game, both sides of the ball, tackle, hit everything moving. And be ready to do it again. Next Even day. with an injured shoulder, right? Your shoulder was never the same after yeah, Bettis, after Bettis hit you. <laughs> oh, no, I, that, that's still hanging out right <laughs> I call this Jerome Bettis over. But again, I just wouldn't let my mind go there. Jerome Bettis shoulder. He put me to side. That, that was a great tackle. But if I had to do it over, I might You might have slipped it. You might have slipped it. <laughs> I took it with me. I still carry that with me. That's a cross I will not get rid of. But it wasn't until I retired to where I said, I'm not this soldier. I'm not invincible. I just want to be a regular person. I want to take off all the armor, take off all the helmet. I'm retired. I'm putting my shield down. And that's when I started to really get in touch and in tune with, man, that kind of hurt. That feel good. And, and that, was, that takes a lot of vulnerability. I think my book really helped me you know, take down that that protective wall nice. and really get in touch with myself too. Yeah, I find that um, I've worked with some um, college and also professional athletes. And um, that's one of the things where you come out of this situation where you're 
100 miles an hour for so many years and then you come out and there's the real world and then there's, you know, people actually touching you, right? Because when you're an athlete, you're sort of in a cocoon, right? You go with your team, you go in the hotel, you go to the bus, you go to practice, you go home, you see your family for, you know, split second and you go back out. Now you're fully immersed in this thing called life and it's it can be overwhelming. It sounds like you kind of slowly are doing it. The thing, the thing I want to say is that the people need to know is, you know, healing is it's a destination that none of us really get to, but it's it's a journey we're always on. People ask me, all, you know, all the time, "Oh, are you are you positive all the time?" I was like, "No, no, no." I mean, I get angry, I get you know, I have emotions, but I just try not to stay there because I've learned certain tools and tactics over time to help me to do that. But the point is, we're all growing, we're all learning, we're all healing. It's 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 a journey, and you know, you're gonna in in, in two years, you're gonna have you're gonna be sitting in in uh in the therapist's office or somewhere else and learn something, and you're gonna be like, man, you know, I'm just learning this, <laughs> you know, and that's just that's that's just life. One thing I'll say is that you know, a lot of people that listen to my show are um, entrepreneurs and people that are really just trying to better themselves, right? Really trying to improve their life. One of the things that I know from my own experience is that, and my, my guest experience is that nobody gets anywhere without help, right? Everybody needs help from somebody. I will say one of the challenges, particularly when you're trying to ask someone like a Jay-Z or like a Chris Hope or like anybody of note for help, they're so used to people calling them and asking them for help, right? They're so used to their phone ringing and 85% of the time is somebody asking for a favor, how do you recommend people approach people of note or, you know, celebrities or however, if they need some genuine help and some direction in, in, a, in a particular direction? Well, first, I would say if you're not invested in yourself, you can't expect someone else to invest. There you go. So if you don't have any skin in the game, you come to someone asking for some advice or an advancement or to, for them to invest in, in you, if you haven't already done your homework, exhausted all your resources and put all your skin in the game, there's no way that someone that gets calls consistently (laughs) are going to take you serious because we also have a responsibility. The assumption is to whom much is given, much more is required. That's the assumption that we live by, people that have become successful. We start to make ourselves feel guilty for being blessed or being fortunate or having some worldly success. So we we feel like, oh, everybody, we have to help. No, we don't have to help everybody. We have to help those that are our assignments because when we don't help those people that are our assignments and we help everything that comes to us, now our light burns out and we miss the person that we're supposed to help because the person we didn't supposed to help burned us the wrong way and now put the shield back up. I ain't helping nobody. Yeah. So it's very important that I can't remember the scripture. Well, when Saul, who turned to Paul in the Bible, he was on the road to Damascus. God had an encounter with God. God changed his name. God told him that he had a man to meet him where he was going. The man that he was going to meet was already waiting on him. So God talked to both people. So Bishop Walker, my pastor, always says, God doesn't give you a word about me that he hadn't already gave me to let you know that you was coming. Mm. So it has to be an interconnection. I have to be spoken to to say, this is the person I want you to help. This is a person who's serious about what he's doing. He really needs you versus somebody just wanting you. Thinking that you got it. And thinking that since you got it, 
they can play on your emotions and your manip- and manipulate you to help you or to help them just because they know you got a good heart. Different. And that's something that I have to intentionally focus on too because there's two sides of substance abuse. You know, it's the giver and the, and the taker. You know, people that live in pride, we we need those people that, oh, you need me, yeah, you need me. Yeah, yeah, me. yeah. yeah. It's, a two, it's a two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. I'm going to challenge you a little bit because I think that phrase, to whom much is given, much is required, actually does apply. And I'm going to tell you how. Okay. Because you've been given so much. Right. The much that's required from you is the responsibility to know who to give it to. That's the responsibility. So looking at it that way, I think it's a it's a perfect thing to live by. But but most of us think right. yes. Yes. yes, yes. Oh, it could be time, it could be advice, it could be the much of me doing my homework to say that's not the person, exactly. that's not my time. Exactly. But, but for most of us, we read that and say, to whom much is given. Oh, I got this. <laughs> right. I gotta uh, give it away. Yeah, I don't look at it that way. I look at it that I'm more I'm actually more responsible because I've been given this this bounty, right, to take care of. One of the things I, I talk about with, uh, with leadership is, you know, we have a, a big responsibility. It's not like, you know, we just like, you look, look at somebody like Obama or even Biden now, you know, people look up to him, oh, oh, dude, that's a heavy weight, <laughs> you know? Do you see how old they get? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, look at him in 08 and look at him in 16. That was, that eight years was about 18 years. Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy burden. And the other thing I think with leadership, people don't realize that leaders are nothing without people to follow them. So if the people don't think you're responsible enough or trust you, then they'll go find somebody else. (laughs) Then you're no longer a leader. I I said that in my book. You know, if you think you're a leader, just get up and take a walk. If you don't see nobody behind you, that's exactly (laughs) Take a walk. (laughs) Right. I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that. Mm. 